This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others, and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. All right, everyone. Well, welcome to another episode of the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica, and I'm so glad to be joining you today with my guest, Amy Gannett. Amy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. This is really fun for me. Yeah. So I, I think I sort of discovered you as I began to go down the rabbit trail of uh, theologians and apologetics accounts on Instagram. And somehow I found your account and I thought, I've never heard of this person. I love everything that she's posting. And so I sort of started to do a deep dive. And while at the same time, I had also discovered tiny theologians and not put the two and two together that you actually created tiny theologians. So that was kind of funny that I figured it out after I ordered the cards. <laughs> so um, that's really cool. But um, just kick, kick us off. Um, tell us a little bit about you, where you live, just a little family info so we can get to know who you are. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, my husband and I, um, we met in seminary in the Boston area and um, we've lived a little bit all over the place, but now we are in Greenville, North Carolina, where we are church planters, and we are planting Trinity Church Greenville in the Uptown District of our city, and we have a little girl named Emerson who just turned one, um, and so most of our daily life revolves around local church ministry. A lot of people don't realize, especially in the online world, don't realize I'm full-time with our church plant, and my husband's the lead pastor, um, and so he's full-time with our church plant. So most of our life really revolves around local church ministry. Um, but I also write and teach online. So I teach Bible courses, verse by verse studies, um, just a discipleship course that I taught with a group of friends. So those are sort of my online things. I do things like theology Thursday in the Instagram world. Um, so I write and speak. And then I also do tiny theologians, which um, really came out of my desire to see um, kids discipled with theological resources. So we can talk about that more, but um, that's a big part of our daily life as well as I manage that small business and create resources um, for the Tiny Theologians line. So that's a snapshot, just a little picture of what yes. I like looks like. Well, I have plenty of questions. Don't worry. Um, so church planting, I think that's really cool. How many, how big is your church now? Um, we're about a group of about 50 um, currently, which is actually such a gift coming out of 2020. We had so many friends that closed their doors, the doors of their church plants during um, seasons when all church went online. Church plants have a lot of strengths um, when it comes to flexibility. When you're a smaller group, you can pivot really quickly and really easily. Um, so we sort of leaned into that flexibility in that season. And I think it served our body really well, being able to do a short season online. And then we were able to resume in-person gatherings before most churches because we were such a small crew. Um, and we met in the cafeteria space. So spacing out each family having their own section was just a non-issue for us. So we were really, really grateful for that. 
Um, but now that we're um, in a new location, a new, we're calling, we're not calling it a permanent location. We're calling it um, a new long-term short-term location. <laughs> it's a long-term lease for us. Um, so we'll be there for the next couple of years. We have been so grateful because it's enabled people who are sort of starting to venture back out to in-person gatherings, enabled them to find us and join in what God is doing through Trinity Greenville. Well, tell me what drew you guys to church planting, because I know that church planting, I've done some research about that and written a little about it myself, and it's not an easy task. It's like a full uh, person experience if you're leading the way. So what led you there and how has it been? You are not wrong. It is, it is <laughs> such a unique task. Um, I've told this story before elsewhere, so I won't repeat all of it, but a big part of our calling to church planting was my husband's calling to it. We are a part of a church plant in Colorado. And it was in that season, my husband was reading a lot. We were just out of seminary, fresh out of seminary. And he was reading a lot about church planting. He was reading Centered Church by Tim Keller, um, which is like the city center church plant methodology. Um, it's a fantastic book. And he was reading it and he was reading it with another church planter at the time. And he came home one day and said, I think the Lord might be calling us to church plant. And I was like, I don't think so. Like that does not, <laughs> God does not feel right to me. <laughs> so part of the re part of my holdup, I, I now can look back and I, now I can look back and see with more clarity what my holdup was. But part of it is that Bible school and seminary, they're doing their part to prepare you for the vocational ministry world. So um, seminaries and uh, seminaries and Bible schools in particular want to help launch you into careers that exist. And so, so much of our training as you, as we got ready to graduate seminary is about finding existing jobs. How do you step into a ministerial transition? Um, how do you, if you're going to be a pastor, how do you step into a pastoral transition plan? How do you jump into the middle of a budget year? You know, some of those really practical things, but I think the subtext that I heard in class was you don't create positions, you don't create churches, <laughs> you just find existing churches. Mm. And I already felt like because we both were seminary grads, I already felt like the deck was a little bit stacked against us um, to both find jobs in ministry. Right. I, I was already feeling a little concerned that we wouldn't both be able to find jobs at the same church. And so when we started looking for jobs, um, the churches that I was looking at, that we were looking at were big because they could afford two full-time staff members um, with seminary degrees. Like that was kind of where yeah. my eyes were. And I think, um, I think that's all in the subtext, right? That was all the subtext that I was hearing in seminary class. It just sort of trained me to look for that. So planting was never on my radar. So when Austin asked me to pray about it, I was sort of like, sure, I'll pray about it. But I kind of already know what the Lord's going to say. And the Lord totally surprised me. As I was praying about it and Austin was giving me these resources, statistics, and um, different articles about how church plants really are sort of the new mission field on the home front. I was just blown away and totally compelled to it. Mm -hmm. So it was probably about a three-week process for me to say, I do think the Lord is calling us to this. And so... Um, I, I mean, there's a lot of details that went into that. Our Austin's home church, uh, or like his, um, church that he grew up at, which actually his parents were one of the founding couples of, um, he, they were looking to start church planting. And so the pastor there got in touch with Austin and said, let's talk about church planting. If you're interested, we're, 
looking for this. Let's just be mutual beneficial to each other. And then they said, actually, we would love you to come build a program for church planters to train church planters and send them Mm. out. So we moved to North Carolina. Um, Austin built the program and we were one of the first couples to go through it. So Austin's still the um, overseeing that program. He's still training church planters there. Um, and then we've been here about 18 months. Um, I actually now, now that I look back, I think Austin is particularly wired for church planting. Um, I mentioned one of the reasons, but his parents really helped start their church. And so um, the church that sent us out to plant started in Austin's parents' living room when he was like seven or eight years old. Mm-hmm. And so he grew up thinking, this is church. This is what church ministry looks like. And I think that sunk so far into his subconscious that he's just so well wired for it. Um, Austin also is very wired for longevity. So people that we know that say, I am not called to church plant, are those those spark people that have a lot of energy for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And they are great to be a part of a team, but really church planters should have a goal of becoming long-term ministry people, right? Yeah. Like Austin's church plant, he's a church planting pastor. Someday he will be a, a pastor. We are a church plant. Someday we will be a church and we'll be here for the long haul. That's our goal. So, Erica, have you ever heard of the working geniuses? Have you, are you familiar with I'm that? I'm not. I'm not. Okay. It's a little bit new. It's sort of like the strength finders, but it's all okay. about how you work with teams. Okay. Um, but they basically have developed this um, way to talk about the different types of ways that you interact in the workplace with other team members and what part of getting things done that you play. So um, Austin and I are like this middle, like if you look at this chart, it's six pieces of a puzzle and Austin and I together have the middle four. And so I think God has really made us people that get stuff done together. And I can't do it without him and he can't do it without me. So God has really gifted us to get stuff done in church planting you got to get stuff done. Like you wear lots of hats. You got to preach on Sunday, but you also have to like get kids ministry volunteers mm-hmm. background check. That's like what's on my desk right here is like, how do I get all these people background checked? How do I figure out who's taking out the trash next Sunday after service? Like all of these little things you have to be doers. And so I think that's part of how God wired us. And now that now looking back, I can see that he's called us to it. That's just our journey of getting to the place where we realized that he was calling us to it. So you guys never did work at another church. You graduated from seminary and ultimately were led directly here, sort of. Sort of. So Austin was on staff of our sending church for three years. Okay. Um, I worked in non-vocational ministry. And before that, I worked vocationally outside of the church. So both of us, when we lived... Um, before we moved back to be part of our sending church, we were outside of ministry, immediately out of seminary. We didn't work within the church. Okay, got it. Now, where did you guys go to seminary? Gordon Conwell up in the Boston area. And is that where you met? It is. Yeah. Okay. Like okay, three cool. days into first semester. It was great. It was meant to be. Um, well, so tell me what, I mean, I, I think I could probably, you know, it's obvious why maybe you wanted to go to seminary, but tell us what drew you to go there. Why did you want to go to seminary? Yeah, I think the thing that always comes to mind is I had this feeling when I was done with Bible school, I went to Moody for undergrads. I was in the heart of Chicago and learned from some great professors um, it's where I learned that I really want to teach the Bible. 
but I just knew when I graduated, I wasn't done learning. I just, I wasn't done that I like still had to scratch that itch. Mm -hmm. And so I just knew it was time for me to keep going. And when I graduated from seminary, I felt differently. I wondered if I would graduate from seminary and be like on to PhD work because I just was, (laughs) that's just like the lifelong learner in me. And maybe PhD work is still ahead, but at the time I was like, no, I'm really ready to start sharing what I've learned. I felt full so that I could pour out. And so um, I just went because I thought, gosh, there's still so much I'm curious about and I have the flexibility to go. So I did it and I'm so, so glad that I did. Yeah. I, I wish I would love to go now. Like I just now in this phase of my life. I'm like, man, that would be so cool. Cause I've just been getting so into it lately. But mm-hmm. so, I mean, coming out of seminary and Bible college, like you have all this knowledge and a lot of stuff that many people don't know. Many Christians are very lacking in their biblical understanding and their contextual understanding and so many things. And so, um, you know, clearly I, you know, it seems like you wanted to, to get out there and teach people, um, on, on your, I wrote something down here on your website, you know, it says you want to, you're equipping everyday believers to think theologically. How much do you think that is missing right now in Christian, I hate to say Christian culture, cause that is a different thing, but I, I feel like Christians of the West don't think very theologically a lot of the mm. times. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think we probably do think theologically. We're just very unaware that we are. Hmm. Um, I I think one of the biggest misnomers is that theology is something that is done out there. It's done in seminary. It's done by professors. It's done by preachers and pastors. Um, it's done by seminary students. But if we sort of boil down what theology is, it's just a study of God, or we could say it another way, um, it's how we understand God in his world and what we articulate to be true about God in his world. And so we all have a theology. We all are theologians. We all think something about God. Um, and I guess the question for us as believers, you know, the atheist has a belief about God, about his existence or non-existence. Um, everybody has a belief about God, but the question for us as Christians is, does my view of God align with scripture? Does it line up with who God has revealed himself to be in his word? And, um, I think that that's really, um, I think the most helpful place for us to start as everyday Christians, people who aren't going to be in the classroom, people who aren't going to be going to seminary or having time to sit through systematic theology tones, the the best place for us to start is to ask ourselves, has more of my theology, more of what I believe about God arisen from culture around me, from sort of truisms that we hear in the church, um, or have I taken the time to hear from God himself about who he is like? I mean, you and I know this to be true in our own lives. The person to best introduce somebody is themselves. Um, there's no one that can describe me better than me. Probably there's no one who can describe you better than you. Um, and so we want to hear first and foremost from God about who he says he is and what he says he's like, and the things that he loves and hates and, um, the things that make, um, the, the ways that he's at work in the world. And so I think as Christians, um, 
I, I, the impulse that I would love to see grow in our Christian community or Christian culture would be the impulse of, I have a theological question or I have a question about God and his world. Um, my knee jerk reaction is to go to the scriptures. I wish that we saw more of that. And I think we're seeing people grow in it. Um, but instead we're so quick to go to people, it, theologians that we trust, pastors that we trust, all of which are good. Don't get me wrong. There are theologians that we should be asking these questions to. We should ask our pastors and our local church ministers these things. Um, but we, I want us to be a people who go to God's word first. I think that, that it, that's what the foundation of our theology as Christians. We say it is. And so to put it into practice would be to be people of the scriptures. And so that's why when people... I've been asked the question before, are you more of like a Bible study person or more of a theology person? It's like, you just can't dissect the two. They just don't come apart. They don't divorce. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would love us to see, to see us be Bible people exploring the scriptures for ourselves and getting to know God in his word, letting him speak before we let everybody else speak. And I think it would just serve us really well. Yeah. One of the things in the past year that I've sort of implemented is not running to a commentary to figure something out and like doing the hard work of like reading it again and again. Like my husband and I are reading Ezekiel, which is, can be a tough one. Um, And so we will, you know, sit there and talk, you know, talk out what we think we're thinking it means um, before going to see what Mm -hmm. someone else says it means. And I think that's really helpful because I think God can really speak to you personally in that way. Whereas if you're just going to a commentary or a Bible study, you're just going to get that author's, you know, through their lens and Mm -hmm. not through the very unique and personal lens that God could be speaking to you through. Um, So I think that's a good point. Um, So you, um, you founded Tiny Theologians before you had children, right? (laughs) That's right. Mm -hmm. So, so how did that happen? Tell me the origin story there. Yeah, I was working in kids ministry just as a volunteer, and we were at a really little church um, at the time, and they didn't have sort of like a kids ministry director on staff, um, and they had somebody on staff sort of helping oversee it, but I said, I would love to help with my curriculum and um, help explore what options are, and I was honestly just super disappointed at the time at what was available. Now, granted, I was right out of seminary, so I was fresh and feisty, <laughs> you know. It's a, and honestly, a lot of my favorite resources have come out in the last five years. Um, so, like, there was the Jesus Storybook Bible, but that wasn't curriculum for Sunday school. Like, there wasn't much beyond some of the classic things that we have grown to love. And so I just felt like there was this huge gap. And because I'm a doer, because that's like one of the ways that God has wired me, um, I just wanted to pull the trigger and do it. So um, that was sort of, that's like, that was happening simultaneously to something else that was happening is I was doing online Bible studies for women and teaching theology online. And I had, um, I have a Bible study membership where people can study with me um, month by month. And I noticed I had this big gap. I had like early career people, a lot of single people, newly married people. And then I had like empty nesters or moms of older kids um, or retirees. And I was like, I'm missing this big gap of moms of young kids. And I started doing a little polling to figure out what that was about. And a lot of people were like, I do not have time to learn theology. Like I can barely keep my kid's nose wiped 
I do not have time to learn theology, but I would love if you would make something for my kids. And Mm -hmm. I realized in that moment, and now I know it personally as a mom, we will do things for our kids that we will not do for ourselves. (laughs) We will make sure they have a very balanced meal and we will eat like the freezer chicken nuggets. Um, And that is also true theologically, I think. I think a lot of parents were craving to do something for their kids. They're like, my kids have no theology. I don't really have time for it, but I have my kids will know who God is in his word. And so I created the first set of flashcards for Tiny Theologians. Um, it was coming right out of this time in kids ministry. Simultaneously, this was happening. I felt like the Lord was telling me go ahead and pull the trigger on it. I created one set of flashcards, the ABCs of theology and moms of young kids ate it up. Um, and I had so many messages from moms of young kids saying, I now know what atonement means. And it sort of was my like triumphal moment. Like, yes, there are kids resources out there that are solid, theologically sound, Uh, But also I'm like reaching that missed demographic that I was missing. And we, I love encouraging parents, learn alongside your kids. If you're busy, learn alongside your kids, because um, it was just so encouraging to me to see parents and kids learning together because I mean, we know this to be true in our own lives. We just can't lead our kids somewhere. We haven't gone ourselves. We can't lead our kids into knowledge of God that we um, aren't willing to explore ourselves or just, um, don't have ourselves. We can't lead them into loving God if we haven't taken the time to nurture that in our own hearts. So um, that was kind of the impulse. And now that we have a kid, um, I'm actually like, now that we have a kid, I'm like trying to not pull the trigger on everything because I have so (laughs) many ideas now. But um, we're going to hold on. We're going to hold on. We're going to let it grow up and I'm going to sit the best ones. I totally relate to your um, like never ending ideas because I have the same problem <laughs> and wanting to do things. I'm a doer as well. Um, but I will say, and I know, I think I've commented this to you on Instagram, but just, I love the flashcards and I am learning and we did do atonement the other day. And I was like, Oh my gosh, my five-year-old can tell you the definition of atonement. And I could have never told you that. I mean, I don't even, I probably couldn't have actually told you that until recently because you know, I sort of probably had a vague understanding of what it meant. Yeah. But like, you know, if I was like, you know, give it a microphone to explain it. I don't know if I would have been able to. And so yeah. now we're going through these words and like they're hard words and he's five years old. And I'm like, I am so committed to him understanding this. Yeah. Like I read um, Mama Bear Apologetics this year, obsessed with it. I'm just like devouring all this stuff. Like, I don't know if you know N- Natasha Crane, but um, I read her book about like 30 questions to talk with your kids about Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I am just eating up all this stuff, stuff that I didn't mm-hmm. get as a kid. Because it's like, yes, I survived my Christian childhood and like I'm still a Christian and it's a, a huge part of my life and it is my life, but not not everyone necessarily is gonna that's gonna happen to without equipping them. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So Whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, 
Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. And yeah. so I, I really think it's, uh, you know, so important just for people listening like that, that your kids do have this real understanding of our faith that it's not so many times I feel like I, I see this in, in people I know that have sort of lost their faith, that they see it as so much of a feely, touchy feely thing. Mm-hmm. And that is not, I mean, that's, that can be part of it, but that is not what our faith is based yeah. in. And there's so much more out there to ground it and to um, to, to base it on than just like, oh yeah, you, I felt, you know, gooey, gooey during worship services and high school youth group. Um, and so I actually noticed that I was looking at your book, which I want to talk about your book, um, called fix your eyes. That's coming out. Uh, when, what's the date is coming out? September, September of this okay. year. Okay. So coming out in September, which is really, uh, really exciting. Congratulations on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I took a little piece from the Amazon um, uh, description that says um, you're talking about some of the things you're talking about in the book. And it says theology without worship is muted, stifled and cold and worship without theology is ungrounded, unrooted and uninformed. And so um, could you, I don't know, maybe just expand a little bit on the inspiration behind that message and what got you to this point of writing this book? Yeah. Um, Well, when I graduated from seminary, I sort of um, missed the theological conversations that I was able to have all the time in the seminary classroom. Um, And so I pursued that, obviously, in the local church. And I sort of found that the the things that were available to me, the outlets that were presented in the local church on the whole, so not just my local church, but the local church around me, were sort of one or the other, thinking or feeling. It was sort of either a workshop on studying your Bible or a theological conference or seminar. Um, And then there were also like worship events that I could go to that were very um, emotions based. And neither of these were wrong in and of themselves, but I felt like there needed to be a bridge between the two. Um, When I would go to some of these theological seminars or these workshops, I often found that the circles that I was sitting in, and I found it in my own heart too, because there was no worshipful outlet, there was no end goal of knowing God so that we could love him. I found that it was pretty, um, the temperament towards God was cool. Um, It was much more of, it was much easier to be cynical in our hearts, to be arrogant about what we knew. Um, and that wasn't right. I saw that in my own heart. That was my own conviction. It wasn't right how I was pursuing theology. It it didn't have anywhere, it didn't have any appropriate application because the only appropriate application of theological knowledge is to worship the God of our theology, right? Mm -hmm. And when I would also go to these worship events where we would, um, have wonderful bands leading us in worship and scripture readings. And um, goodness, it was such a great spiritual high. It really was. You know, I felt close to the Lord. I um, experienced the Lord's presence in a really unique way at that event. But then um, I didn't know how to maintain it in my personal life or in my spiritual life because they weren't giving us um 
theological underpinning for that worship. There wasn't a a truth from scripture that grounded it. It was more of an experience-based event. And so I really thought this gap just shouldn't be. And I think most of us know that we, but we can testify to ourselves in our own hearts. We know that what we know about God should lead us to worship him. Knowledge without love is fruitless, but love without knowledge isn't really love either. And so I started seeing this gap between theology and worship and wanting to bridge the two um, because that bridge exists. So I'm not building the bridge. I'm just like one of the many people shining a flashlight and being like, hey, y'all, there's a bridge here. Theology does lead to worship and we just have to be aware of it. So this book comes out of that desire to help people see um, how theology can lead us into worship. So it shouldn't lead us to pride. It should lead us, lead us to humility. It um, And our worship shouldn't be an emotional experience that we have to hunt after or hunt down and re create on our own, it really grounded in theology, it's going to have staying power. And we're going to experience the God of our knowledge and the God of our love um, in a faithful, never ending, enduring kind of way because of it. So that's what drove me to write this book. And I think um, it's the book that I needed several years ago. And so the Lord let it stew in me for several years as I um, was in women's ministry And as I was just a member in a local church, craving a way to bring these two parts of my person, my thinking and feeling self, my knowledge and loving self, um, to bring these two parts of myself together. Do you feel like people, are you getting the sense that, I'm assuming most of the people that you work with are women, (laughs) but do you get a sense that women are really hungry for this kind of information? I absolutely think so. So there is a mantra going around that women don't like theology or gosh, if only my, the women in my church wanted to study something better, all they want are devotionals. All they want are sort of mealy mouth, sentimental, like doily teas. I don't know any of these women. Like there's sort of this motif that we've built for ourselves, this straw man, where we're sort of like, oh, all those women, show me one. I don't know a single woman that wants to go have a woman's tea at church where you don't talk about anything meaningful. I don't Mm -hmm. know a single one of them. But we continue this mantra as if she's like, there's this weak um, minded and weak spirited woman that's like a ghost in the church and none yeah. of us know who she is, but we keep fighting against her and let's just put it to rest. I don't know these women. Yeah. We don't know these women. Women want good theology. Let's just do it. Let's all just do it together. I don't think I, you know, now that I've sort of been exploring more theology and reading more apologetics books, I feel like it just wasn't getting in front of me before. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't being marketed to me. I wasn't seeing the accounts or whatever, however you see things or get yeah. it on your radar. Mm-hmm. It wasn't happening. And when I started getting more into it, I I started listening to Elisa Childers podcast and sh- like sort of listening to her sort of got me onto some other things. And anyway, Um, I just, now that I'm into it, I'm just, I am so hungry for it. Like I'm so desperate to learn more. And I think there's gotta be so many people out there that are in a similar situation. And 
Um, I guess sometimes even I would think, you know, maybe falsely think like, oh, maybe pe- maybe I'm just, you know, I'm just one of those people that's really into it. But I think more people than we realize are. And that is such the key to, you know, there's so much going on in our, our culture right now of people leaving church and people s- sort of, I mean, not, I don't want to say losing faith because I think that the polling out there that shows people are le- leaving their faith, I think that's a little, those polls are mm. um, misleading um, just because mm-hmm. so many people still do um, value their their spiritual lives so much. They're mm-hmm. just sort of looking for a place to land um, and they haven't felt like they have a good place to fit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like getting this stuff out there like you're doing is such a service to a community of people that are looking for it specifically mm-hmm. and may not know that they're looking for it. You mm-hmm. know, it's kind of like we need to tell them this is it. This is what you're looking for. Um, so certainly was the case with me. So I do think that's so important. Um, I was going to ask you, you know, it seems like in culture, and I don't know what your take on this is, but it does seem like those with Orthodox Christian views are more criticized, um, less tolerated these days. And so when you're talking with women about that kind of stuff, like what is the encouragement you give them or what is your take on how to handle some of that this these days? To handle some of the criticism specifically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, I think the first words that come to mind are um, the words of my preaching professor in undergrad at Moody. Um, He said, to be a preacher, you have to, and he didn't mean necessarily in a pastoral position. He just meant if you're going to teach the word. So this would apply to even people who, I don't want people listening to discount themselves if they are not publicly teaching or anything like that. But um, you have to have, if you want to do this, you have to have the mind of a scholar, the heart of a saint, and the hide of a rhinoceros. That's what he always said. Um, And he's not wrong. He's just not wrong. You have to develop a thicker skin. And I think one of the things that keeps me coming back um, to the importance of doing this work over and against the ease of stepping out of it right? (laughs) Stepping out of it sometimes seems so appealing because you're like, I just, I don't need that, right? I don't need the criticism. I don't need that on my life. Um, Feels too hard or too messy or we actually have divulged in our um, public, our ability to have um, public engagement. And so we get really nasty. And if somebody just agrees with me online, it's usually like um, that, I mean, it usually has undertones of like, well, you're a bad mom. And it's like, well, (laughs) disagree with me theologically or like, you know, so sometimes it gets messy and you're like, I don't need this in my life. So what keeps us stepping back into that? And the thing that is such a comfort and encouragement to me is that I remember that um, Jesus is, Jesus is the one who spoke truth. And so he is the target that the enemy wants to fire at. He is the one that the enemy wants to derail. Um, I'm getting ready to do a Theology Thursday. I do Theology Thursdays, most Thursdays, and I'm getting ready to do um, a series on um, foundational doctrines of the church. And one of the weeks we are talking about um, God's sovereignty versus the enemies. And one of the things we have to remember that sometimes we forget in our theological conversations is that we are not the target of the enemy. Christ is the target. The enemy wants to seal Christ's glory mm. and um, wants to see Christ pull off, pulled off his throne. And guess what? That is never going to happen. It's mm-hmm. never going to happen. And so when we feel like we're the target, 
um, whether we feel like the enemy is trying to directly discourage us or using other people as a means to discourage and derail the things that we know that God has called us to or make us call into question um, truths that are evident in God's word, we should bring to mind that Christ stands in front of us as the target. Um, he keeps us from being the target. It is Christ who the enemy is after. And at the end of all things, Christ is going to be glorified. <laughs> Christ is going to rule and reign. Unlimited power um, with unhindered um, rule. And so by keeping that in mind, it reminds us we can step back out. We can do that. We're not the target. Um, and we have great partnership in Christ as we step into the line of fire. So um, we do not grow weary in doing good because there is a harvest to come. And so I think by keeping that long view in mind, it really enables us um, to keep our hand to the plow, to keep speaking truth in love. Um, as long as it is called today, God calls us to these things. Yeah. Oh, that, that was so good, man. I need to We'll have to replay that part. Um, so I, I wanted to also ask you, you have a course on discipleship. Why is discipleship so important? Um, how do you, because this is a question in my mind, because I don't feel like it's being done like greatly at my church. And so, um, but I've been told it's complicated. So I don't know. Um, so what it, what are your thoughts on discipleship and why should people be prioritizing this? Yeah. Well, discipleship is the process of how we grow up into Christ. And um, Christ calls believers to be disciple makers. And that is the Great Commission. And so we want to be able to um, speak into the next generation, those who are um, biologically or generationally younger than us, and or those who are spiritually younger than us, even if they might be older than us and um, age that might be younger than us in the faith. And we want to be people who speak into these things um, and help people grow up in Christ. Um, so we as Christians are not only about the work of evangelism, which is people coming to know Christ, the, the work of um, spreading the gospel, sharing the good news so that people might come to know Christ and become a part of the church. It's the process of taking those who are in the church and growing them up in the faith and helping them walk deeper with the Lord. Um, and because that's the call on all of our lives to make disciples and be a disciple, um, because that's a call in all of our lives, it's something that um, we should, at least in some seasons, see ourselves intentionally pursuing. So I don't think that everybody in all seasons has to have a specific somebody that they're discipling. But I think if we've gone a year and haven't asked ourselves the question of what does the Great Commission look like in my life, then it's time to revisit it. Let's ask mm. the Lord, what does this look like? Um, and in this course, I do the I do my best alongside many other qualified Bible teachers um, to debunk the myth that discipleship is only something for the church structurally or formally. Um, we do not have to wait for um, discipleship models or methods or ministries to pop up at our local church in order to do the work of discipleship. And I think by jumping in, the, this course gives people confidence. Um, it's a, it's an, I say it's a no frills guide to how to make disciples. And so each person that graduates from this course really should leave with a sense of calling and purpose and knowing what they're going to jump into next. 
um, knowing how they're, if they, if they were given someone and somebody came to them and said, Hey, I would love for you to disciple me. They would say, let's meet Thursday for coffee. And they would know exactly what they're going to do with that person. Um, because I, and my goal in debunking this is that we don't leave it to others to come and pursue us. We don't leave it to others before we pursue others. We say, Hey, if this is a call in my life, Lord, how would you lead me into this? And now that I know I'm called to disciple this person or called into this discipleship relationship, um, this is how I'm going to approach it with confidence because I now have these skills. Mm-hmm. Um, so the course is not taught by me alone. It's taught by many other friends of mine. So Melissa Kruger teaches on the role of Bible study in disciple-making relationships. Jen Wilkin te- teaches on the role theology plays in disciple-making relationship. Hannah Anderson talks about how discernment Um, can grow in disciple-making relationships and what role it plays. Hunter Bielis of the Journey Women podcast, she talks about the difference between mentorship and disciple-making relationships um, and how to pursue having a mentor even while you're being a disciple-maker and discipling someone younger. Abby Wedgworth talks about disciple-making for different ages and stages of life. So from the young believer to the two-year-old to the tween and the college student. So um, I taught this with nine other qualified Bible teachers. And so it's a wonderful course for those who are wanting to jump in and learn how to make disciples and grow in confidence in doing that. Yeah, I was looking at it earlier and I was like, oh, I feel like I might I might have to buy this course. <laughs> I need it's a this very course. Fun <laughs> course. And I can say that because it's not, I'm not the fun part. Like all these <laughs> women that came and taught this, they are the fun part. So, well, um, I certainly recognize many of those names and I'm a big fan. So, um, so I want to close out just by asking you um, what are, I guess, maybe what are some go to reads? or listens for you? Who are people that you like to follow? Is there a podcast that you've been loving book that you've been reading that you can recommend anything like that? Um, yeah, so I can literally look around my office and tell you what I've been reading lately. Um, Austin got me this book recently, Concise Theology by J.I. Packer, and I'm really, really loving it. Um, I'm using it sort of as a resource right now, like as a reference guide. Um, but each of the theological topics are like, like this is on the Ascension. It's like a page and a half, mm-hmm. you know, so it's just so, so helpful. So if, it, if I have a question on a topic, I mean, it's J.I. Packer. So hmm. um, I'm probably going to really like what he has to say. And so I thought that this is, this has been a really fun read. I'm reading 10 words to live by, by Jen Wilkin, because I'm leading a summer study through it. Um, at our local church. I'm looking around. Do you see me like looking for myself? Yes, you have a lot um, of books. I can see that. I am also a book person and I'm usually reading about five at the same time. So oh, that's, that's what I have to limit myself a little bit more than that. I just can't, my brain can't do it. But um, I just started using this story of God. There we go. There we go. Yes. Get the glare off a little yes. bit. I just taught on Hannah's prayer this last weekend. Um, and this was a great commentary um, for that. And this is not theological. Um, and hopefully I don't think controversial anymore, but um, I just finished reading the Harry Potter series and I am, 
having the best time. I'm I'm actually going to start back on book one. If oh, you can no. even believe it, I'm starting back on book I one. I can't believe it because so. I read like two of them way long time ago. And I was like, well, these are fine. But I couldn't, I couldn't get into it like some people do. Like I know you're one of many that I'm like love it. back. I'm in it. I love it. I love the Christological imagery. I'm just really trying. I mean, we have a lot of Gen Zs who are a part of our ministry. And I'm trying really hard not to reference Harry Potter all the time because they could not care less. But I'm trying really hard to like minimize my Harry Potter. I feel like people use Harry Potter examples in a lot of books and stuff and teachings. Mm-hmm. And You're whenever right. and whenever they do that, I don't know what they're talking about because I haven't read them. <laughs> so, so I felt that way about Star Wars. My husband just exposed so, me to Star yes. Wars like two years ago. And I was like, we'd be watching some other show and I'd be like, I get this now. Yes. Like now it's such a big cultural thing, it really cultural is. experience that if you don't have it, it's sort of like other things fly over your head. Yeah. I thought that way about Harry Potter for years. Now you're on the inside. I'm on the inside of one thing. Like I'm <laughs> on the inside of one circle, one little Harry Potter circle. <laughs> so um, how is your daughter? Do- your daughter's one. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. How's that first year of motherhood been? You know, uh, tough in so many ways but 2020 was kind to us in that it pushed us home yeah um we because we're doers um we tend to be pretty busy and um 2020 I mean Emerson was born March of 2020 which was born two weeks after we went into sheltering in place here in North Carolina and I mean we were doing church online my husband was home I mean, we had like four months of not really having other connections or commitments. And there was something so wonderful about it. So I do not minimize how hard 2020 was for so many people. For us, there were a lot of hardships, especially in the church planting world. I mean, that was just tough, right? It was just a tough year. Yeah. Um, But goodness, like having all three of us home for months, like I can't trade that. Like I can't, I couldn't ask for that again if we had another kid, you know? Yeah. Um, So it was really, really sweet. Yeah. Having, having your husband home, I think that is, that's such a good point because so many people don't get that. I remember when my husband went back to work, he had to go back to work when my son was like five days old. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, it was so (laughs) awful. Like, so I can imagine what a blessing it was to have him there. So that's really awesome. It really, really was. Well, Amy, I'm so excited about your book. I'm so excited I discovered you. And I love your Theology Thursdays. Um, I just love everything you're doing to put the truth out there and to help people to understand the Bible and understand God and find their faith grounded in something, you know, beyond... (laughs) what they may be hearing from the world and some people out there that, I don't know, I feel like there's a lot of people that are sort of leading astray these days. That's probably always been the case though. Um, So, um, so thank you for your time. I am a hundred percent going to be getting your book and telling people about it. And I'm, I'm so excited for it to come out and excited for you and whatever ministry holds for you in the future. Thanks, Erica. I really appreciate that. This episode was brought to you in part by the Better Samaritan podcast, where Jamie Ayton and Kent Annan discuss everything from simple acts of kindness 
to complex humanitarian challenges with their guests. Want to learn how to faithfully do good better? Find insights at The Better Samaritan.